0: Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. What's happening, Res Life? How are you guys doing on this beautiful, sunny fall day in Michigan? Uh, Y'all ain't excited? Y'all like winter. Okay. Y'all some winter-loving people here. I am a summer-loving human being. And so this right now feels so good. Hey, I want to give a special shout-out before I even get uh, ahead. Um, I want to give a special shout-out to Eric, who brought this table up here. Can we just clap it up for him real quick? I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. I was here for a conference a couple of months ago. Actually, it was just last month. And I was on stage, and the speaker was coming on stage, and they brought this table out for him. And he was like, hey, I'm not going to need that table. Can you grab it for me? This is one of the most heaviest tables I've ever lifted in my life. So, Eric, God bless you, because when I tried to pick this up, I almost had a hernia. I was rethinking my whole life. You ever picked up something so heavy you just start having stars? Like, that was not the lights. That was the table. So God bless you. Hey, uh, I want to give honor to the pastors of this house, pastors Dwayne and Jeannie. I know they're not in the house, but can we just give it up to them for their faithfulness, for their commitment and service. I also want to give a special shout-out because I realized, I realized the Sunday evenings are actually ran, planned, and organized by Pastor Daniel. So can we give it up for Pastor Daniel and (laughs) Pastor Amanda and Just everything that they do for this house and creating space for us on Sunday evenings. If you've got your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4. I'm so glad to be here with you guys. Everybody in relevant nows is saying what's up. They're like, hey, make sure you tell our family at Res Life what's up. So I want to give you a big shout out. And I'm so glad that today I got to be with my wife. Last time I was here, I wasn't with my wife. So my wife is in the front row here, so I'm glad that she was here. She was like, do you want me to drive? I was like, yes. Please. So we're going to be in Luke chapter four and I'm going to pray. We're going to dive in uh, this word. I believe that this is a word I'm going to teach a little bit. Is that okay today? Today, today I may not be hooping and hollering like I'm here all the time doing Uh, today. We're just going to teach a little bit through uh, this text because I believe that there is a word for each and every one of us in this room. Uh, In fact, this was a different message than the one I was supposed to preach. Pastor Daniel, I shared with him the message a couple of weeks ago. I said, I believe this is where we're going. And he was like, yeah, that's good. And then yesterday, yesterday, before I was sending him the notes of the previous message, something shifted. And I believe that God wanted us to talk about this subject that we're going to be in in Luke chapter 4. So let's pray. God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that there is no other name but Jesus in which we are saved, in which we have hope, in which we have healing. And so, God, I pray that we will be reminded through this story about the effectual nature of Jesus' life on our lives, not only through the cross, but by how he lived his daily life. And, God, I pray that you may call us forward, inspire us, encourage us, and equip us, Lord, to move forward. In your way and in your ways. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. So I've got three boys, three boys, Isaiah, Elijah, and Jeremiah. Isaiah just turned 17. Y'all, I got a 17-year-old. Help me, somebody. I need some parenting advice. No one prepared me for 17. People are like, oh, man, the terrible twos. Talk about the terrible teens. I love my son. But he is 17 years old and testing every piece of my last patience in my body. I love him. And now I've got my 11 year old Elijah. He is my shadow. He's, he was sad because he wanted to be here with me. Then Jeremiah, who's seven. But I want to tell you guys about Elijah. Elijah is a dreamer. Elijah reminds me of Joseph in Scripture. Like he's got these dreams. He's got these visions of things that he wants to do. He's got visions of grandeur. And every time I talk to Elijah, he's always telling me about what he's going to do and what he's going to accomplish. And the beauty about it is he always includes his daddy in it. I love it. We're driving down the road, going to church the other day, and he's like, Dad, um, we should go to Miami. I was like, yeah, son, we should go to Miami. He was like, yeah, check on your phone for the tickets. I was like, well, son, you know, the tickets to Miami right now with inflation and the way my bank account is set up right now. And he's like, dad, don't worry about it. Because when I start my clothing company and I get wealthy, I'm going to take you to Miami whenever you want to go to Miami. I said, praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah. Praise God for a son who includes you on his plans. And then the other day I'm in the living room. And he comes and he sits down next to me. He says, Hey, Dad, what's your favorite car? He said, But, 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 you gotta tell me the car that you dream about. What is the car that you dream about, Dad? And so I got to thinking. I was like, Well, I could think about this car. He was like, Dad, make sure it's the car, it's your dream car that you want. I said, Okay, son, I want a Bentley. I want to own a Bentley. And he was like, and dad, you will. Because when I become a world famous DJ, I'm going to buy you a Bentley. I said, praise God for my son. Listen, here's the deal. Either he's tired of his dad looking broke, (laughs) busted and disgusted, or he's got some dreams that nobody else can see but him. He's got a vision in his mind. He's got a vision in his heart that none of us can discern, but he's got it and he's got plans. See, as a parent, I can only think about all the roadblocks he's going to face. When he starts telling me about, Dad, I want to do this and I want to do this, I have to stop myself because oftentimes I want to come and say, well, son, let's be real. Anybody say that? Let's just be real. Let's be practical. And oftentimes I have to call myself back and say, let the brother dream, let him dream, let him let, you about to get a Bentley and go to Miami when you want to. Don't stop him. See, I'm thinking about the challenges he's going to face, but as a dreamer, he's thinking about the goals he's going to accomplish. I pray. I pray he'll never stop dreaming. I pray that my son will always have a vision that is so wide and so bushy-tailed in his life that only God can bring those things about and that he will pursue God in such a way that says, God, I am partnering with you with everything that you have for me in my life. I'm taking hold of the abundant life or whatever it is that you want to provide me. I pray that he'll never stop dreaming and thirsting for more because for many of us, those days are over. Those dreaming days are over. Reality has set in. We've begun to lose hope or we've already lost hope on the dreams and the visions we've had for whatever reasons. We've stopped dreaming. We're no longer the 11 year old with visions of grandeur. We are simply adult, middle aged, retired, thinking, well, this is my lot in life. This is all that there is. And can I tell you, all of us in this room had a vision at one point in time. If you were ever six years old, you had a vision. If you were ever 11-year-old, you had a vision. It's something that begins to happen when we get into our teenage years. All of a sudden, I don't know whether it's education. I don't know if it's our parents. I don't know if it's life that begins to chip away at those dreams that we once had. That that, that bright-eyed, bushy-tailed vision that we once had. And all of a sudden, reality sets in. Some of us still do have a vision. Some of us somewhere in between. I, I pray that tonight, that tonight something is going to shift for you. I, I pray that tonight will ignite or reignite the vision that you had for your life, for your family, for your children, for your careers, for your education, for your faith. I pray that tonight, for some of you guys, God will begin to birth a new vision in your life. That you will begin to hold out hope and say, I serve a big God who can use little me to accomplish big things for his glory. As we dive into Luke chapter four, we see Jesus articulating a vision for his life. If you read with me, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, it says this, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Jesus is in his last days, I mean, in his first days of ministry. He's, he's just been baptized by his cousin. He, he's, he's been ordained by the Holy Spirit. They've seen uh, the Holy Spirit like a dove descend upon him on his baptism. He is now beginning to inaugurate his ministry. He spent 40 days fasting and praying. And I can tell Jesus was a strong man because I've been fasting for 21 days, y'all. He fasted from food. I just fasted from meat and all other drinks but water. And I'm starving right now. <laughs> I remember a few years ago, I, when I would, whenever I would fast, I would do a full food fast. I wouldn't eat. I would to be like Jesus. The older I've gotten, I'm like, yeah, we're just going to cut out meat. <laughs> we're going to cut out a pot. We're going to cut out something else. My body just can't take it anyway. But Jesus is, is ready. He is, he's now beginning to minister. He's walking into his calling and he's going from city to city. He's going from synagogue to synagogue. He's teaching and everybody is marveling and they're glorifying this man who was just a carpenter growing up in Nazareth. Then, In verse 16, it tells us this. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Now, I want you to catch this. If you have a physical Bible, underline this. He says, he unrolled the scroll and found, double underline, found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes of those in a synagogue were affixed on him. Jesus has been going around preaching and teaching in the other synagogues. And when he goes into his hometown, he is given the opportunity to teach. They say, hey, this is the hometown kid. Jesus is back. Hey, this is Mary and Joseph's boy. Hey, hey, let let him teach today on this Sabbath day. Let him engage the word of God with us. Let's see what God has been doing in and through him, because I heard he went on a prayer and fasting journey. And I believe that God probably downloaded some great information in him. And so let's be encouraged by Jesus. When he opens it up, he says he's unrolls the scroll. Because back in the day, they didn't have, like, physical Bible like this. And he didn't flip. He unrolled. Kind of like you scroll on your cell phone, right? He unrolls the scroll, and he finds. He didn't stumble upon it. He didn't get asked to teach this. He unrolls the scroll, and it's as if it is super intentional what he's doing that he found this text. And he quotes Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. But then in it, he also adds in Isaiah 58, verse 6. He goes and he reads, I'm going to read it again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Around churches we have what's called vision Sunday and you know the pastor gets up and he casts a vision for the new year and for the road ahead for what he believes that God has placed on his heart for that the the team has prayed over and and this is the direction we're going and oftentimes you hear this text quoted Habakkuk or Habakkuk 2-2 write the vision and make it plain So that he who reads it will run and not faint. And really it's about Habakkuk writing the vision that God had placed on his life about the future. So that whenever times got tough, whenever he felt like he was off the mark, he could always go back to the vision. And it would be made plain and he would know that this is the direction I'm supposed to be going. Why? Because it's a reminder that important things are worth writing down. So why does Jesus go to this text? God had written down the vision for Jesus's life over 700 years before he was born. Jesus knew that he was going to send his son. God knew that he was going to send his son. God knew that he had a mission and a vision for his son. And so he put it in scripture. He wrote it down. He put it down as his word so that when Jesus was born he would be able to learn about the vision of his life and he would be able to go back to this text and recognize this is my destiny. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. God wrote the vision down, made it plain so that Jesus would would run and not faint this vision is one that Jesus internalized and he held close to his heart that's why he was able to go exactly right to that text and if you want to take a teaching point from this I want to share this with you vision must be written internally before it is experienced externally Vision has to be written in your heart. It's got to be written in your mind's eye. do Not only put it down on a piece of paper, but internalize it. Begin to pray about it. Begin to present it to God. Because in order for it to actually come to pass, you've got to have that thing internalized. Jesus knew his purpose and his vision so he could recall it of a drop of a dime. You hand him the Bible, you hand him the the text, and he was like, oh, yeah, let me just read you exactly about what my life is supposed to be about. They say, hey, Jesus, come and teach. What has the Lord uh, told you? What's God revealing to you in in Scripture? Well, God has been revealing to me his vision for my life. And my vision uh, for my life that the Lord has put lace on me is the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover his sight to the blind. And set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He had his vision so deep in his heart that when he opened the word of God, he just went directly to it. Now let me ask you this, how many of us in this room are so clear on our vision that it drips in everyday conversation? How many of us are so clear on the vision that God has for our lives that in everyday conversation, in every situation, you can see God's mission and vision taking shape in your life, or you're helping, or you're coming and partnering with the Lord to 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 craft it and make sure that it comes to pass. And when people talk about you, they're like, "Oh, talk with you." They're just like, "Man, there is something so optimistic. There's something so hopeful. There's something so committed about this individual. I can't help but be inspired every time I get close." To them. It begs the question is your life vision driven or is it task driven? Jesus wasn't just reading this text, he didn't want to just preach a good Sabbath sermon. Jesus wasn't just trying to articulate how well-versed he was in Scripture. He wasn't trying to prove the fact that he wasn't just a good old carpenter. Jesus was reading this text and articulating this text to them because there was one thing that he wanted them to know. And we find that in verse 21. And he began to say to them, today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This ain't just a good sermon. I'm about to tell you what my life is about to be about. This ain't just a good word. I'm here to show you what I'm going to be about. This ain't me just sharing a good passage in scripture. I'm about to declare to you what my destiny is, what my future is, what I've been sent to this earth for, what I was born for, what I'm destined for. My life is not just task-driven. I don't go around just doing things and saying things. I live a vision-based life that embodies everything that God has called me to, everything that he's called me to accomplish for his glory. But the interesting thing is Jesus is claiming to be the messianic figure of Scripture. He is making an incredibly bold and audacious claim to say that th- what scripture has prophesied, I'm the person who is going to bring redemption and forgiveness to the world. That's pretty bold. For good old Carpenter's kid who just spent 40 days on the mountain. Now we're trying to figure out what we're you doing on that mountain. I heard there were some herbs and all that type of stuff on that mountain. <laughs> What you smoking, Jesus? I know your daddy. I know your mama. I heard there was questions about how you came about. We're not going to talk about that, Jesus. He's claiming he is the anointed one sent from God. I just want you to take a moment to imagine you're at a family reunion or your family gathering. And one of your cousins who you saw growing up, running around, shows up. Now he's 30 years old. You haven't seen him in a while. He took a trip. Nobody knew where he went on this trip. He said he wanted to go meet with God. Didn't tell anybody where he was going. Left his cell phone. Didn't pack a bag. Just kind of disappeared for 40 days. And you guys at a church or you guys at a family gathering, mind you, and everybody's like, hey, what's up, cousin? How you been? Oh, man, it's been great. I've been with God. Sweet. Tell us what you heard. I am going to be the next president of the United States. Twenty twenty four. Excuse me. And God told you that. Yes. And on top of that, I am going to be the one to usher in Jesus coming. What was was he for 40 days? What was he doing for 40 days? It's absolutely ludicrous. We'll look at our cousin, we'll look at our family members saying, You've lost your mind. So, can you believe Jesus walks into this space and says, Listen, I am the Messiah, I am the anointed one, I'm bringing redemption, I'm the one called by God. He is unapologetic. I just had a situation with a good friend of mine come and tell me. He's like, hey, man, I can't wait till the elections are done. He's, you know, part of the midterms. I'm like, hey, what's going on? He's like, because I'm running for office. I was like, what? Not you. He was like, yes, me. I'm like, bro, I didn't even know you voted. (laughs) And you out here running for office. Jesus was giving them the vision for his life. I am the redeemer. I am the Messiah. Jesus was saying that my vision is rooted in the mission and purpose that God has called me to live out. Luke 19.10 gives us a good articulation of what Jesus' mission was. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What does that look like? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the Lord's uh, year of the Lord's favor. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You want to get another lesson out of this? The second lesson that we can learn here is the purpose of vision. The purpose of vision is to provide evidence that the mission is accomplished. The purpose of vision is to provide evidence that the mission is accomplished. You cannot have vision without a mission. Well, you can't have a destiny without a map. You can't have a destination if you don't know how you're going to get there. Listen, even my son, my 11-year-old, has a mission. He's going to be a clothing brand owner and a world-famous DJ. That's his mission. What is the vision? Hook Daddy up with trips to Miami and a Bentley. I like that vision. The other day I was like, son, we need to figure out how this is actually going to happen. What you need? How can I invest in this? The result is I'm going to take care of my dad. The purpose of vision is to provide evidence that the mission is accomplished. Jesus knew what his mission was. I'm going to come and I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to seek and save the lost. And as I do that, there's going to be people who are freed from bondage. There are going to be people whose sight is going to be recovered. There's going to be hope restored to this earth. There's going to be people at Res Life on a Sunday evening, October 23rd, who are going to hear the hope of the gospel, recognize the majesty and supremacy of Jesus Christ. And they're going to all come to faith in Jesus and say, yes, this is our Lord. This is our Savior. The third point comes along very quickly with this is the most compelling vision has to be attached to a purposeful mission. It has to be attached to a purposeful mission. You'll never be truly compelled to see your vision come to life if it's not bigger than a mere desire. You'll never be compelled to truly see all of what God has for you come to pass unless it's bigger than a mere desire. Look at what happens. The interesting thing is, verse 15, it says, and he taught in their synagogues and being glorified by all. Then he goes to his hometown. See, he's been in the region preaching and everybody's loving on Jesus. But when he comes home, It's a different type of reception. He's out there telling people, I'm the redeemer, I'm the Messiah. And they're like, sign me up. I'm with you. He goes back home and they're like, all eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. Verse 22, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. But then they begin to ask, is this not Joseph's son? Aren't you just a carpenter's kid? And he said to them, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What's he talking about? When I go to the cross. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable accepted in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine all over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman, who was a widow, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman. Okay, now, Jesus, you start in trouble. He's clear on his mission. He's clear on his vision. He's letting them know, you guys are going to turn your backs on me. I am so clear. I understand what my destiny is. I'm so clear on the call and I'm so focused, but I got to let you guys know, you guys are not going to feel this. You guys aren't going to want to walk with me. What else did he say? We said, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill, which their town was built on so that they could throw him down the cliff. you will never be compelled to truly see your vision come to pass. Because can I tell you, every vision comes with haters. Every vision comes with roadblocks. Every vision comes with hurdles. And you'll never be compelled to truly see it come to pass if it's not bigger than just mere desire. Can I tell you, all I've been wanting to lose weight for like two years now. But the only reason I want to lose weight is just so I can look sexy again. So I can get my college bod back and get rid of this 40-year-old dad bod. That in itself has not compelled me to go to the gym or change my diet. Because it is mere desire. I'll literally go to the mirror and be like, you disgust me. Hey, babe, what's for lunch? You just ate. I don't care, lady. <laughs> Feed me. I'm hungry. Can I tell you, most of us do life, we don't live life. We go about life accomplishing tasks we are supposed to do. We do the things that we're supposed to do, but the things that we really truly believe in, the things that we desire, are only that a desire. Our lives begin to be filled with checkboxes and not purposeful moments. Because most of the times our vision is so broken and it's so lost in the pain of the past and the frustrations and the roadblocks that we've walked through that we've just given up. Everybody has told us, no, that is a terrible idea. You're not thinking clearly. Why would you want to do something like that? Why would you want to take that path? That's stupid. That's not smart. You're not being a good steward of your resources, of your family, of your finances, of your career. You need to be better. You get all of the frustration, and you feel like you're about to get thrown off a cliff. So all you do is revert back to just checking boxes of daily living. And then we spend time watching other people live their TikTok and Insta-visions. Double tap. I like it, but I really don't because I'm hating because I wish I had that life. Or we get older and start living our vision throughout our kids and now our kids become the, the, the catalyst of the, the vision that we vicariously live through. So we start forcing our kids into every sport, every drama, every band, every situation because we miss our opportunity. So now we're trying to live through them and we're trying to tell them how to live their lives and where to go and where to work and what they need to do. Why? Because we're dissatisfied because we've lived lives just checking boxes. Or worse yet, we get old and grumpy and start griping about others who are living their mission and vision-inspired lives. But what do we see? What do we see with Jesus through his life? What do we see through Jesus' life? He released demonic and spiritual bonds. Jesus brought sight to the blind. Jesus made the lame walk. His purpose, his mission was the uh, the embodiment and evidence of God's favor on earth. Every single day he lived with mission. Every single day he lived with purpose. He knew exactly what he was called to do. He didn't let any of the naysayers, anyone come and detract what God had placed on his heart and the vision that was written down for him. And he pursued it relentlessly. He pursued it didn't despite what anybody else said, thought, or did. He says, listen, I know where I'm going. I know what God has called me to do. So it's only like five people clapping because they're like, yeah, everybody else is like, dang, I wish I lived my life like that. I wish I lived my life on vision that way. And because of that, every act of Jesus was a visible revelation of who he was and who he was destined to be. Let me ask you this. When we look at your life, is your life lived daily as a visible revelation of what God has destined you and called you to be? What is the vision for your life? How is it attached to your being and your purpose? Pastor Daniel, I told you, I was like, hey, this was going to be a short word. Then I sat there and God revealed all this other stuff to me. So sorry, I'm going a little longer than I should have. What, what's your vision? How is it attached to your being and your purpose? Let me ask, is it a bigger house? Well, is that attached to the mission and purpose of you being more hospitable and receiving more people in your house who you can love on, serve, counsel, pour into? Is it more income? Is your vision more income? Is that attached to a mission or a purpose of you increasing in your generosity and being willing to come alongside and partner with God on his mission or take care of the people that God has called you to sow into their lives so that they can experience the fruit of God's favor through your life? Is it to be able to travel Is it part of the mission and the purpose to take the gospel to the nations or learn that the world is more complex than the small bubble of community that you live in? Is it to expand your education because some of us are intellectuals? Is it attached to the mission and the vision and the purpose of you desiring to use your knowledge to pour into others? What's your vision? Can I tell you tonight I have one simple call? For us in this room, get clear on your vision. Get clear on your vision. Do not live a life full of checked boxes. Live a life that's worthy. That when you get to the end of time, God will tell you, "Welcome, well done, good and faithful servant." You didn't just live with check boxes. You just didn't do church. You were the church. You lived church. You lived life with purposeful moments. I put a white hot vision inside of you and you pursued it relentlessly. Get clear on your vision. Jesus got clear about his vision and his purpose. He owned it and lived a vision led life. He lived a purpose driven life. And can I tell you, God has a vision for your life as well, too. And I always begin here. I'm going to share with you some quick tools in the, next, in the last five minutes that we have together. But can I tell you, every single person in this room, there's one vision and mission that God has for your life that is clear as day. And you'll find it in Romans 8.29 that you will be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. If you're not living your day with purposeful moments saying, Jesus, how can I be more like you? How can I love like you? How can I be more patient like you? How can I be more welcoming like you? How can I be more graceful like you? The first point of the vision of your life should be to conform into the image of Jesus Christ because anything outside of that, anything unattached to that, is meaningless and fruitless. Are you clear on your vision? I'm gonna ask my friend on the keys to come and close us out. Are you clear on your vision? Write it down in your notes, am I clear on my vision? Is it attached to your being and your purpose? Because can I tell you every single person in this room has a purpose that God has destined for our lives, but purpose without vision is wasted potential. We're walking around a shell of what God has actually created us to be. Jesus says, I came to give you life and life abundantly, but unfortunately, I see most Christians have never tapped into that abundant life. They live life limited. They live life hamstrung. Purpose without vision is a waste of potential, but vision without purpose dies in unmet potential. Some of us have visions of grandeur, but we're unwilling to work on it. Like me losing weight. So I dies. Not I die, but that vision dies. <laughs> in unmet potential. But can I tell you, vision attached to purpose is transformative and blessed. We're getting ready to close out 2022. We're in the fourth quarter of the year. There's some of you in this room that had high hopes for 2022. You made it through 2020. You got through 2021. And now you're in 2022. Like, this is going to be my year. This is the year I'm going to do the thing. This is the year I'm going to accomplish that. This is the year that I'm going to pursue that. And for some reason, for some way, shape, or form, things got in the way. And you found yourself in the last few months of the year wondering, man, how did I get so unfocused? You got time. You got time. They say the greatest time to accomplish anything good is now. And God says, I've got more for you. I got more for you. And maybe you've knocked it out of the park. God is saying, hey, prepare for 2023 because it's coming. And it can be greater than you can ask, think, or imagine if you partner with me, if you walk with purpose. Listen, I sent my son to suffer and die for the redemption of your sins. But remember, Jesus dying on the cross, being resurrected on the third day has as much to do with saving us from the past, but also calling us towards our future, inviting us into a purposeful life. So in this final chord, I believe that you can get clear on your vision. There's three things for you to get clear on your vision. Number one, you got to ask God. And the question you got to ask God, God, reveal to me who you want me to be. Don't ask God, what do you want me to do? God has already told you what he wanted you to do. Be conformed into the image of Christ. How do I embody that? What does that look like in my life? God, who who are you calling me to be? Ask yourself, what is the one thing that would get me up? trying to figure out what your vision is, what's the one thing that would get you up? What's the one thing that would make you spring up out of bed? Not to go take a check a box, but really compel you to say, man, I'm living life and I'm living life abundantly. What is that thing that will make you tick? What is that thing that's going to bring life back to you? That's going to feel the blood rushing through your veins. Ask God. God revealed to me who you want me to be. Ask yourself, what is that one thing that would get me up out of bed? And then if you want to get clear on your vision, ask others. What have you seen me get passionate about? What have you seen me get passionate about? Because as I tell you, Christianity is not some philosophical dream that we talk about. And we come to church and we do our prayers and just go back and just live in this uh, euphoria. Listen, it is practical, purposeful moments connected to the vision that God has placed in our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We love you and we honor you. We thank you, God, for calling us to more. We thank you that you have placed eternity in our hearts. God, I pray that we may become dissatisfied with checking boxes. We will become dissatisfied with living less than the abundance that God, that Jesus Christ came to afford us through the cross. Lord, this is not about material wealth. This is about eternal kingdom wealth that affects every area of our lives that is founded in the person and work of Jesus Christ being made manifest through our lives. May we be the revelation of Jesus to this world. May we too, like Jesus, say, this word, this word on today is coming to pass because I am partnering with Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. He has saved me from, but He's also compelling me to. And may we live life. With purpose, with intentionality, and with the hope of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.